thanks for your welcome and your hospitality. Uh, I bring love from all down at Brizzy West. Um, we uh, um, like to come up this way. It's a little bit warmer for us. Out at Ipswich in the mornings, um, I tell you, you wouldn't find many people down our way with shorts on. Uh, give it another month, and then it'll uh, be a bit more inviting. Um, you don't know me at all. Um, and uh, there's only one thing really that you need to know about me is um, when I was 20 years old, um, God came and found me. And since that moment, um, it's been 20 years of following after him. And he has been um, um, my soul sufficiency and what I've needed along the way. And I don't know what tomorrow holds, I don't know what next year holds, but I know one thing is that I've got God and that he will always be with me in that walk. So I want to share to you today, share with you today out of um, just some of the things that he's taught me along the journey. And um, I hope that um, you can uh, hear my heart in what I'm sharing. Um, but God's heart for you is massive. It's unbounded. There's no limits on it. We place the limits on it. The limits of our understanding, the limits of our brokenness. But I want you today to capture something of what's possible when we make room for him. And I'm going to be talking on a, a culture of honor. Uh, great that you were talking about servanthood last week. Uh, we've been doing similar things down our way. And um, we've been looking at who's the greatest in the kingdom, the servant of all. In other words, Jesus himself. And that's the model uh, for us all. We can't do it any other way. Yet we have a different model of leadership in the world, which is a lorded over model, which tells people what to do and to find their place. God totally came along and demolished that human wisdom and understanding and took the lowest place and laid his life down. And that's at the, the heart of honor. Now, as you can tell by my accent, I'm a bit of an outsider. I've only been here eight years. Um, but when we first came here in 98, this is my wife Helen over here and my kids. Um, we, uh, Helen and I, were part of something called a reconciliation journey. And the Lord had placed on our hearts a few years before to repent of the sins of the fathers of Britain to Australia. So our first introduction to Australia was to come here and kneel in the dust at massacre sites uh, where several Aboriginals were killed in the early days um, to meet Tassie farmers uh, and their relatives who had suffered suicides because of Britain's abandonment of Australia. Uh, and overnight their crops rotted and they went bankrupt and had nothing to look forward to. So the relationship between our two nations is both the closest of things and yet the... Uh, the worst of things. And um, with the ashes that just comes up, it just shows how much that hurts. <laughs> and the only thing that kind of lifted me up last week was the Wallabies did so well. Yet this week, <laughs> I've got nothing to lift me up. <laughs> so we can't get our self-esteem from the sport even though we're pretty good at it, and we win a lot of things. And um, 
my sport is rugby, rugby union. And I come from Wales. And it, it's the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing in Wales. We, we've got this amazing stadium. And for us, um, it's quite clear. There's not loads of sports like you have over here. But most of the time, we'd be on the losing end. So I had to get used to losing. And I think for Australia, that hurts, doesn't it? Why does it hurt when you lose to England? Seriously, why does it hurt so much? I mean, the Kiwis, yeah, you can give them that and think, well, it's nice to get over them, but it doesn't hurt as much. But why has that um, Ashes series been running for so long and it's all about our esteem, what we stand for? Now, who likes holding doors open for other people? Okay. I was brought up that that was the polite thing to do. Yet there's one time, I think I was at university still, and I held a door open for this girl, and she stands looking at me with this frown, saying, what are you doing? You can't hold the door open for me. That's sexist. And I said to her, well, I hold it open for blokes as well. Is that, is that okay? She said, oh, well, in that case, I'll make an exception and I'll walk through. <laughs> so, sometimes you can't even do the right thing when you try. Um, but all this stuff comes from honor. And um, I kind of grew up in the 70s in Wales, um, in a small town, uh, pretty down-to-heel place. And um, yeah, it was pretty old-fashioned. Um, People uh, were pretty genuine, but um, hard up. Um, but what we could give one another was honor. And in the context of sport, you often see that honor is given, where, particularly here, um, sports icons, you hold them up. You give them a place of honor and esteem. Yet, there is this thing about Australia that I'm realizing that poor old Michael Clark announces his retirement, and then all of a sudden the knives come out. And everybody then has got something to say. Oh, but you don't know the real Michael Clark. You don't know that this guy doesn't travel on the bus with all the lads. You don't know that you know this guy almost refused to play at one stage because he was asked to um, um, bat in a position that he didn't, um, to field in a position he didn't want to field. Where does that come from? How is it that we can so easily turn against folk like that, that we've held up and honored over time? And I want to have a look today to see if we can find some answers in Scripture. Now, honor runs much deeper than cultural etiquette. But what, is it, what exactly is honor? And I want us to turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. And we'll see how Jesus was treated in his hometown. So if you've got your phones or your Bibles with you, Mark chapter 6, 1 to 6. I hope nobody's preached on this last week or the week before. Um, maybe God wants you to hear it twice. Okay, so Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, 
And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? So they acknowledged all of that. Look at what happens next. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Up until this point, Jesus has demonstrated his authority by healing all kinds of diseases, even raising people from the dead. He demonstrated his power of authority. Uh, sorry, he demonstrated his power over nature even. And you see, initially, the Nazarenes from his hometown, they were astonished by what he did. Wow, look at that guy. Look at what he can do. But then what happened? They began to think, he's just one of us. Hold on a minute, there's his brothers and there's his sisters and they wanted to bring him down to their level. Jesus was coming home to the people who should have known him best. And yet the welcome he received was Nah, you're no big great shake. You're just doing these things, you know, just to get some attention for yourself. We just need to keep you in your place. You're just this small hometown boy, and we want you to know it. Now, Jesus says, he quotes um, from the Old Testament, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. The Greek word used here, without honor, is atomos. Just means simply to dishonor, to treat as common and ordinary. And that's what they were doing to Jesus. You're just common, you're just ordinary, you're just one of us. They dishonored him. Now, here in Australia, there's this thing called tall poppy, isn't there? What's that all about? bringing people down to your level, making sure that nobody kind of can be above you. So, all the way back here 2,000 years ago in Nazareth, these guys, they were the tall poppy guys. They were doing it long before Australia was even settled. And it comes from our humanity. But let's look at the other side of the coin. The Greek word for honor is pronounced time, spelt time. And quite simply, to honor somebody, you lift them up. You value them. So honor is very simple. Lifting up. Dishonor. Bringing down. Honor elevates and dishonor depresses. Now it's great to see the way here that you were honoring the people who were serving. And we know that service is important. 
and we know that we shouldn't be seeking recognition for our service. We should do it um, without anybody's eyes on us except the, the eyes of God because we're serving him. But it's also right to honor what's been done. Not to steal away the reward because they are setting the model for what the kingdom is all about. This is the currency of the kingdom. And in fact, we as the church should be lifting up our cities. The prayer people know all about that. There's no point in us putting them down and saying, you're doing this, you're doing that, you should be doing this. They've got no ability to even change what they're doing. If we think we have, we're doing it under our own strength and our own works. We can only do it by, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit within us. So as a people, we're called to lift up, to raise up. Now, my daughter, uh, eldest daughter, Keris, um, she's 15. She's heard me preach on a, a, a number of times. And um, there's very few things, I think, that, that, that stuck. Um, but this really stuck with her. The truth is, respect is earned but honor is given. And our young kids and our teenagers, and I know from experience, because I used to be a high school teacher, a math teacher, and um, I can tell you a lot of those 14-year-old boys did not want to be in that class at the end of uh, a Friday. Uh, it was the, mm -hmm. the worst place for them. And they expected me to respect them. And they're demanding respect. But they missed a key truth. Honor is given, and respect is earned. If they'd given their teachers honor, it would be easy then to respect them. And you know, when you give somebody honor, you create a space for them to take on something new, to leave the old behind. You invite them into a larger space. So honor actually empowers. It may seem that you're taking the lowest place when you're lifting somebody else up, but what you're doing is empowering. So let's return again to um, look at this scripture and see the depths of dishonor that Jesus was subject to. Hadn't he shown that he was Lord over all? Nature, demons, sicknesses, diseases. They knew all of that. They saw the miraculous. Yet what couldn't they give him? Honor. They wanted him to be common and ordinary. Because in their mind, well, if he was that, it made them this. That was their problem. Jesus wasn't doing that. Jesus was wanting to lift them up. And the sad thing is, even in this context, his own family, his brothers, his sisters, looked down upon him. The ones who knew him the best. And we have this English proverb, don't we? That uh, familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes we treat the people closest to us and those we love the most with probably the most contempt. Because we think, oh well, 
I don't have to put on a face for you. I can just give you, give you it straight. And today I feel, excuse my language, crap. And so you're going to get the brunt of that. We shouldn't do that, should we? But we do. And it's good to be real. It's good to be honest. And it's good to be exactly who you are. But I can honestly say we, we have um, a young girl um, in her 20s live with us. And since we've opened up our home and we've had somebody in our home, remarkably, we have less arguments. Because deep down, we're worried about how we look when somebody else is looking in on our family. And so it's a good thing. I mean, at times, you just want to kind of kick her out the way of the TV and put on the wallabies and turn it up as loud as you like and all of that. But what I'm saying is, if we can adjust our behavior when somebody else is looking, maybe when nobody's looking apart from him, we could do better. What were the consequences of dishonor? Now, this should really rock your theology, I think. Um, it says in Scripture, Jesus was unable to do any miracles there, except heal a few people. I'm sure you would have been happy if you were one of those healed people. You would have been leaping and praising God, but Jesus was unable to do any miracles. Isn't he the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings? who spoke the world, world into being. So something fundamentally needs to kind of rattle our understanding here to think, well, wow, what was it that stemmed the flow of the miraculous? Dishonor. Now, elsewhere, we see Jesus encountering a lack of faith. When he walked up to uh, Jairus' daughter, who's lying there dead, everybody outside starts laughing at him when he talks, she's just asleep, she's just asleep. And so he clears them all out, has a few of his chosen disciples, and Jairus' um, uh, and, and his wife, I think. Um, and he raises the little girl from the dead, Talitha Kum. Wake up, little lamb, Talitha Kum. And she rises from the dead. So Jesus could do miracles when he encountered a lack of faith. So faith is not the issue here. The missing ingredient in Nazareth was honor. You see, God's grace flows to us through honor. Unless we're prepared to believe, to receive, to take the step of coming out to the front and having somebody pray for us and believe that in their prayers together that we can see God move, we have to honor them. Having faith is one thing, but trusting your leaders to pray for you, it's very clear in Scripture. If you have a sickness, go to your leaders and let them pray with you. Now, I'm not saying you just have to go to your leaders because in Vineyard, we know you're all leaders, in fact. There's no great thing about being a leader. It's about somebody who gets things done. Titles aren't important. It's about getting stuff done. So we want you all to be praying 
and seeing people encounter the love of God and the power of his Holy Spirit. But it starts when you start to look at somebody and look at them and think, he's not like me. He's got a beard. Can I trust him? You know the, th the thing, don't judge a book by its cover. What do we do? We judge a book by its cover. I'm in publishing as well, Christian Publishing, and I can tell you there's a lot of rubbish books out there when you look at the covers that they produce. And sometimes the quality inside is really good, but if you don't invest on the cover, then people will never pick it up. They'll never believe in it. But we've got to go beyond because um, it's not what's on the outside that makes somebody special. Jesus made that very clear. It's what's within us. Now, just believe here that the same power that raised God from the depths of hell to the highest heaven is in you. So when you're coming to somebody else and you're asking them to pray with you or anything, mow your lawn, you're asking them to do it with God in them. You're coming to God himself. And sometimes we miss that and we just focus on the people. What's his score? Who's got the biggest lineup at the front? In church, we really screw things up with our, um, you know, our humanity gets in the way, doesn't it? But the truth is, every one of you has the capacity to carry the fullness of God. But that fullness, as we know in Ephesians, will only be expressed when we can prefer one another and see that together, only together, can we contain this great reservoir of love that God wants to pour out on the earth. So this unity is important. It's in our oneness that we'll see the kingdom of God established here. We could all be today sitting at home and um, having a great time worshiping God, maybe with our families even. But in coming together, we know that there is a corporate blessing. There is something more. It's an amplification. Things get turned up. But in order for us to come together, we have to honor one another, lift one another up. Now, as a church leader, church is often the place where people are griping and moaning and bringing people down. If only so-and-so did this. If only this happened. With that culture, do you think that God's going to break in? That all of a sudden, the greater things of God are going to be given to you? It doesn't follow, does it? where we lift one another up and hold up those who are leading us in worship, hold up those who've um, vacuumed the floor. We're not ready to receive what God's got to give to us. Now, very quickly, I'll do a quick run-through of what the Bible says about who we're to honor. There's some very key categories that we need to honor. First of all, parents, number one. Which one are our mother and father? That's the only uh, commandment that comes with a blessing. Credible blessing. 
if you honor your mum and dad, you'll live long in the land. So somehow your longevity, and I don't mean just the length of your life, but your staying power in life comes from how you've honored your mum and dad. That's the first place that you learn all about honor. We're also called to honor those in authority. Anastasia Palaszczuk. Is it Anastasia? Tony Abbott. They're in authority, but I can feel for some people that's getting stuck in your throat. Because what God has put in place, although it's corrupted, is an image of heaven itself. Our great foe, he did the one thing that can't be redeemed. The devil could never be won back from what he's done. He set himself up against God, and he sees himself as greater than God. And he managed to take a third of the angels with him, and they were cast down. Now, he had no problems knowing the truth of who God was. There was no veil for him to see what was going on. And yet he still chose to dishonor. So even those governmental leaders that we might not choose to believe in or might think somehow they need some little adjustment to their thinking or heart attitude, somehow we need to hold them up and esteem them as leaders. Now, I'm not suggesting here some kind of British system and the monarchy. People put that on me all the time and think that, you know, that's, that's the way to go. There is something at the heart of... Australia that I think holds a hope for the future of humanity. That we can raise up the underdog, that we can lift up the weak, that we can stand for those that have no voice. That sounds like what Jesus said himself, doesn't it? Now that's the best of Australia. On one level, we're the most level society. Do you know we're the richest society on earth? Do you know that? The median, okay, is the middle. This is my math teaching coming out now. So the middle value of the wealth of an Australian is much higher than the middle value of the wealth of an American. Because their society, although it's got a higher average when you take into account the incredible Donald Trumps and Gee, it would be hard to honor him as a leader, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> those incredible highs, there's great poverty in America. You can walk down certain streets and, wow, you could be um, walking through Africa. So on one level, Australia has this egalitarian leveling thing. Let's keep it level. Let's bring up people lower down and let's bring the people higher up. And part of that is good. Because the truth is, and I know you've been studying um, Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus set us the model that we would take the lowest place. And that's the only way to follow him into the kingdom. Crawling on your belly. 
Baptism. We die to ourselves that we can be raised up. But we don't get raised up in that moment. It's a faith of getting raised up. We're then asked to take up our cross and for the rest of our days in this age to be living sacrifices. That's a big appeal, isn't it? Who wants to be a Christian? <laughs> but when we understand the truth of how great he is and how low he came to lift us up, that's somebody that you want to worship. That's somebody that you want to say, I'll follow him wherever he goes. And as a church, we're invited to do the same. Can you imagine if we walked to Anastasia Palaszczuk and we had that same attitude of Jesus, that attitude of humility? We're nothing. But by the way, the Lord has told us, if you do this, this, and this, we believe that we could lift all those people out of poverty in our city. If you come with the right attitude, amazing things can happen. I'll just throw in a story here that I only heard yesterday. Uh, we have a couple in our church that run uh, a refugee ministry called Helping Hands, Ken and Ros Myers. And um, recently, they've had a young uh, asylum seeker, a refugee, an illegal immigrant who came on a boat. He was from Iran. And on this journey, he landed here on these shores and within a few months encountered the one and only true living God. He was a Muslim. He knew the Quran. He knew what Muslims believed. But he'd never encountered the Christ that we know. By the time he came to our church a couple of months ago and shared his testimony, he'd led 29 people to the Lord. In fact, there was a girl who was coming along for months from Sri Lanka. She was another refugee. And he had the privilege of leading her into the kingdom that day. The 30th. I don't know what his latest number is now. But this last week on Thursday, he'd just been granted a visa, a safe haven something something visa, enterprise visa I think it is, a new thing they've just come up with, which basically means they can shift the refugees out of the cities and stick them in the, um, the regional areas of Australia, because of course they need all those people with problems. And um, the only thing was is that I think he's been a Christian for some six or nine months. When he first landed on these shores and made his application to be a refugee, he told some lies. He lied about his circumstances because he was in fear that he would be turned back. And obviously since becoming a Christian, the Holy Spirit's been working on him. Hamish, what about these lies that you're told? So he was granted the visa, and yet he goes to them and says, I need to be honest with you. I lied about what I said initially when I came here. That's amazing, isn't it? Is he taking a lower place, entrusting an authority that clearly doesn't have any love for him? But he had to do the right thing. And so on Thursday, he had an interview. And the lady said to him, you do understand that at the end of this interview, you will be taken into detention. 
And he said, I didn't understand that, but if that's God's will, then so be it. I need to tell you the truth. And so he told this lady the truth. And he said, I became a Christian. And she said to him, I don't believe you. What does it mean to be a Christian? So for the next 20 minutes, he said, how long have you got? And he evangelized this lady to the point that she said, enough, I'm not going to become a Christian. Stop preaching at me. But she challenged him. She said to him, because he quoted out of Romans 10, if you believe uh, in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you shall receive eternal life. And she said, well, I can hear your confession, but how can I see in your heart? Prove it. It's a hard one, isn't it? His answer? Well, my heart told me that I had to come and tell you that I'd lied today. Okay, I believe you're a Christian. Nobody does that. And then she said, well, why was Islam so bad? So he starts quoting verses from the Quran. And this lady jumps on Google, looks it up, says exactly what you say. Okay, okay, I'm a believer. This is what we're going to do. We're going to refer your case to the minister. And you can go free today. Does this sound like Paul in prison? Amazing, isn't it? I can't, I can't tell you that, but just to say this young man is already having an impact on his home nation uh, in Iran, and remarkable things are happening. What if we say to the alien, which is what he is, the fatherless and the widow, you're outcasts, you're not worthy of status and honor. We never get those stories of people coming in to the truth of who God is. And that's why in the Old Testament, God places so much attention on the fatherless, the alien, the widow, the poor, the oppressed. And that's why we as a church need to always look for the marginalized. Always seems that it's the weakest who are most in need of God. I wonder why that is. Anyway, I've gone a little bit off. We were talking about the Bible says we need to honor authority very quickly. Also says, uh, I won't quote the verses for you because you can look them up. You're all clever people. Um, church leaders. Our church leaders are worthy of double honor. Can you see how important this stuff is in the kingdom? The miraculous is great. The miraculous is great. Don't get me wrong. And I know that this church will lead the vineyard movement in the miraculous. You have an anointing on you for such things. But I want to call you and invite you in to establish a culture of honor here. Because that's the only thing that's going to sustain what God wants to pour out. And if you're thinking this is all a bit about leaders, and here he is, a leader saying, leaders, leaders, leaders. 
That's not it. Do you know the amazing thing? The Bible tells us to honor one another, to lift one another up, to prefer one another above ourselves, not only think about our own needs, but put others' needs first. Do you know in some sense that's more powerful than raising somebody from the dead? Because the gifts of the Spirit, which we so dearly need to show the reality of the kingdom here, in this age, the kingdom now, is only pointing to the kingdom to come, the kingdom not yet. And that kingdom reality, we won't need the gifts. Read Corinthians. We don't need the gifts. In the new age to come, what remains? Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of all. It's these things of character which need to be present in the church. Because if we can honor one another, Jesus says in his final prayer, make them one. So that what? The world will know. Why didn't he pray, give them all the gift of the miraculous so they can raise everybody from the dead? Why didn't Jesus say that? I know this is probably rocking your world. That would have been a lot easier. That would have been a lot easier than coming here and preferring somebody and recognizing that they're better than you. And when they step on their toes saying, that's all right, let's forget about it. And genuinely forget about it. It's so hard for us. We're these mortal, frail creatures. Paul talks about the sinful nature. But within us is this spark, this energy of life. You've heard a lot about the, uh, the nuclear bomb being, um, you might have, anyway, you might not watch docos like I do, um, being the greatest power in the universe. Who created that power? Who locked away that energy in that little atom? He did. You have that same power within you to explode in the face of your communities and to change it. Honor enables us to receive people's diverse anointings, their giftings, their characters, their backgrounds. It allows us to benefit from people um, who don't see the world like us. Thank God. If we think we've got it right, then we're missing it. We can only ever see this bit from this angle. Ephesians. It's all about all of us together. Honor creates a safe environment where people can blossom and they feel safe. Honor dismantles fear. Honor helps unmask people where we can be real and authentic. Honor builds a bridge to confront and challenge. We're not so good at that, are we? We need to say to one another, you're royalty. Why aren't you acting like it? Call one another to a higher place. And the last thing, most critically, we need to honor God. And that's why all this other stuff is broken down, because we do not honor God and we do not give him his rightful place. Remarkable, isn't it, that the God of high heaven should come down and take that position on the cross and say, actually, this is the way. This is the way.
And 2,000 years on, the church is a long way to catch up with that, doesn't it? In Isaiah 29, 13, we read, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Our world desperately needs the restoration of this biblical value of honor. And we think in the church, if we lower the bar and make God more attainable, somehow bring him down to our level, we can invite everybody in. doesn't matter if you've got all these other issues going on. That's okay. That's not important. But the truth is God's taken the lowest place. Nobody can take the place that he took. He's already gone ahead of us. We don't need to bring him down. And that's why we delight in lifting him up. But did you see what he said to his disciples on the final night of his ministry before he went to the cross? And he said it to them before, but they just didn't get it. I need to wash your feet because you need to wash each other's feet. I hate those embarrassing things where they wash feet on stages. That's just like so... What would we need to do today to wash one another's feet? Look after their kids so they can go out for a night to the movies. Jump in and do their yard because they've been so busy doing everything else. Maybe get in before them and think, now I know that's your job, but hey, I decided to do it for you today. Have a day off. It's radical stuff, isn't it? <laughs> it's not rocket science. If we truly adopt that attitude of Philippians 2, that attitude of humility where we become servants of all, then this church is going to have such a better life. It's going to be a fun place to be around. But I want to bring you back to this key text and make this point. It was dishonor that stemmed the flow of the miraculous. So here's what I want you to catch. The key to the miraculous is developing a culture of honor. Each of you has something unique inside of you that only you can bring. Only together can you manifest the reality of who God is. Even going back to the beginning, I created them male and female that together they image God. The whole design of creation is that we find one another. These million parts that have exploded in the big bang of humanity come back together again. And they come back knowing who they really are and who he really is. And that's when you'll display your full potential as sons and daughters of the king. And in truth, when you make room for other people's freedom, that's when you'll find yours. When you lift them up, when you put them first, when you pray that these kids can prophesy better than you can prophesy. Do you know, in their way up, I asked the Holy Spirit for a word, 
and he gave me uh, Matthew 18:6 about whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it's like having a millstone around their neck, and it'd be better for them. Otherwise, you know, it's obvious. The enemy is so threatened by what you're doing with your kids. But we need to take the authority as parents, as adults, to say, take your hands off. Get that millstone, put it around your neck, and get under the sea. Because that's the destiny for all these fallen angels. They're going down to the depths. When we exalt the little ones, the weakest ones, and lift them up, the truth of our kingdom is shown because it's upside down. If you think you're great and noble, I'm sorry, the only way for that rich young ruler is to take the lowest place. It's a hard one, isn't it? it? Sounds so easy to do. But I invite you to stand and pray now, and we'll invite the Holy Spirit to come and help us. Father God, I thank you that um, you are who you are. Lord, that you don't lord it over us and rule over us in a way that we understand of ruling. Lord, but you sent Jesus to teach us what it meant to serve and lead and rule. And Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here in Vineyard. I prefer them. I want them to be ahead of us all in developing the gifts of the Spirit, seeing prophecy unloosed. Let heaven come to earth in this place and let it go out from here to touch the world around. We pray, Lord, for a loosing of your gifts right now. Those that have them, let them be increased. Those that don't even know them, Lord, give them to them today. And I pray for a hunger and a desire and a stirring for those gifts. Earnestly desire the gift of prophecy, you say. So, Lord, would you loose these things today? But I pray, Lord, so that we don't explode and end up with one big bright flash bang that shortly gives witness to who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would contain the power within your people because of their humility, because of the way they honor, because of the way they lift one another up, because of the way they prefer. And I pray, Lord, that you would unleash in their hearts a supernatural anointing to deal with the rubbish they've got to deal with and to lay it aside and to recognize where it comes from. So Lord, we stand looking forward to what you're going to do. Lord, lift our eyes up above our problems, above our circumstances. Let us see what it is you're doing in your throne room right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would impart into each one of us an unquenchable fire to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I thank you, Lord, that things like bringing a glass of water, washing somebody's feet, mowing their lawn, these things are on a par with raising folk from the dead. And I just pray, Lord, let us get good at it. Let us be the best servants in all of Brisbane.
And I pray for your blessing to be on this church. Let them become known for their servant heart and their humility and the way they honor their communities.